Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to From Local to Global, Small Business Success Stories, Akashi's Business Builders podcast series. Listen as we chat with small business and startup innovators across the ecosystem and uncover the secrets behind their success. From Local to Global is proudly supported by World First. World First, the smart way for businesses to collect, convert and make payments globally. Importers save on international payments with money transfers up to eight times cheaper than the banks. Exporters open local currency accounts around the world quickly and for free. If you're looking for small business advice or inspiration, find us at www.koshisbusinessbuilders.com.au or join the conversation on Facebook. Here's your host, David Kosh. Hi everyone, Koshi here and today I'm chatting with Jeff Parker. Jeff is the Chief Executive of World First, a fintech that had its start in a London basement and has emerged as one of the leading players in global finance. Jeff is here to give us a rundown on how this gutsy startup has taken the world by storm and what lessons you can take away from the journey. Jeff, welcome to the program. Good to chat from uh, from Hong Kong. That's right. Um, thanks, uh, thanks for having me again. Great to be involved. Um, now, tell us about the world first story. We've we've heard of Apple starting from a, ga- a garage, world first, from a basement. Tell us how it all began. Yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty good story. Um, back in 2004 in, in London by um, the co-founders, Jonathan Quinn and, and Nick Robinson. Um, they both worked at, at Citibank. Um, and I think they, they sold foreign exchange to, to big, large institutions. Um, and I think they realized quite early on that the service and the price that was given to those, those large organizations just wasn't available to, to individuals and small businesses. And, and they, they kind of had a mission um, to kind of provide that service to, to smaller businesses. Um, so they, yeah, they, they quit their jobs. Um, they moved into Jonathan's um, basement in, in South London and, and kick-started um, the business. Um, and actually, it was in the days, I guess, before fintech was, was, was really a term. Um, they bootstrapped the business, um, you know, using a credit card. Um, and then 15 years later, um, the business has got offices in nine countries around the world, uh, 550 people. Wow. Um, Serves a couple of um, 250,000 um, businesses, and then last year on, on Valentine's Day, we were acquired by Band Group, which is which is the largest fintech um, in the world. So yeah, quite a good story. Yeah, it is just an extraordinary story, um, largely because of a couple of founders um, uh, having a dream and then really consolidating that dream, but also in a highly competitive industry with just massive global giants to take on. That must have been a bit nerve-wracking. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think, um, you know, the ethos of the business and, and it's the DNA that's still in the business today has been very much around putting the customer at the heart of everything we do and, and, and solving real customer pain points. And I think they always believed that if they could solve real customer pain points, then they always had a chance um, to survive and thrive. And I think that's what's that's really what's um, seen them, them through. And 
and really treating those customers, you know, as really unique and, and making sure they understand those needs. Um, and, and that's really, I think, helped the company um, and, and, and led us and directed us um, all the way through and, and been a key core uh, proposition that's, that's led it to be successful. Because Bagium Finance a lot became a commodity, didn't it? Uh, with the use of technology for a lot of these large financial institutions, which for customers made them feel like a number rather than a customer. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. And I think um, one of the key things that we think differenti differentiates ourselves is, is that customer service. I think we've always been focused on providing um, great customer service. I think as a business, we've evolved and, and we now leverage technology a lot more, but we always go by the, I guess, the motto of we, we want to provide a world-class service leveraging world-class technology. So it's all still about the service, but obviously where we can use the technology to improve that service, um, we will do. And I think some of the people that have entered into this space later are probably, um, they, they've probably got a different focus and, and the service isn't really um, their part. And that's what, what we sell. And I think what our customers really like about our service. Why did you get involved? With World First, you've been chief executive um, since since twenty uh, since um, how long ago was it in May, May. Just May? Yeah, just three months. Yeah, and but you come from big banking background, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, Macquarie Bank. Um, why did you get involved with World First? Yeah, so actually, some um, you can probably tell by the accent. I'm from from the UK originally, but I ended up um, going through kind of the investment banking and consulting route, but ended up in Sydney back in 2005. And um, I was at Macquarie Bank doing uh, mergers and acquisitions. Um, and one of the businesses that, that, that Macquarie bought into was a was a competitor to World First, actually. It was um, what's now called OFX in the international right. payment space. So I, I joined that and was on their executive team as the chief operating officer, um, and then got invited to, to join World First um, about three years ago, and moved the family and myself um, to Hong Kong, um, and, and it kind of has been a, a great ride ever since. But now I've been in the so I've been in the industry probably six or seven years, but with, with World First, um, just over three now, and it's um, it still feels like day one every day. The opportunity, as you <laughs> said, is uh, it, it's still so big, and we're still very much at the start of that journey. But also, no matter what business you're in, you can learn from World First journey. I reckon from looking into it, and it's sort of a. Um, a lot of Australian businesses have aspirations to be overseas, but out of maybe fear or lack of knowledge, um, just continue to think local. Why should we all think global? It's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, the simple answer is the size of the opportunity. I think, um, you know, if you're restricted, you know, if you look at Australia with 24, 25 million people, um, you know, if that's the maximum target market you ever have, and by just going global, you need know, to expand that to, to hundreds of millions and even billions um, relatively easy. And I think you know, that's quite daunting for a lot of small businesses. Um, and I think that's probably been one of the, the biggest barriers um, to entry. But increasingly today, it's so much easier. The tools are there, the technology is there, that actually it's quite easy to, to go global um, and, and to give yourself that, that, that much um, bigger opportunity. But also, it's finding out the partnerships and relationships to help you go global, isn't it? And uh, for a lot of business owners, it is, well, where do I start? How do I build relationships with organisations I can do business with overseas? Um, partnerships to, for example, look after currencies like, like World First does. You, you don't want to layer a currency risk over 
your operational success, do you? No, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, we, we try and simplify it for small businesses. Um, you know, there's really three key things that we think you have to do to expand um, internationally. You know, the first thing is you need to connect a buyer and a seller. So you've got to find a buyer for your products if, if you're exporting. You've then got to work out how to get the goods to them. So you've got to ship those goods to them. And, and then obviously the final part is the payment. I think, um, you know, on the first part, um, the, the connecting the buyers and sellers has been a huge plethora of marketplaces that literally specialize in this, whether it's Amazon or eBay or, or, or other kind of marketplaces. So that, that part has become much easier. The shipping of the goods, I think, has also increased and improved significantly. And then even those marketplaces themselves now offer full kind of end-to-end -end fulfillment services, which, again, makes it just so much easier for these small businesses to be able to do it. Um, and then the final piece is, is the payments piece, which I think is, is where World First comes in. Um, you know, and we're able to, to really to take that, that experience and make it much simpler. Um, we actually offer small businesses the opportunity to open bank accounts overseas um, very quickly, um, which is, is very typically very difficult for, for small businesses to do. And then to your point, Koshi, I think one of the key things, that the value that we bring to our customers is, is that we help connect all of those partners. So we work with tax partners, um, accountants, logistics companies, shipping companies, um, to kind of package that up into almost a one-stop shop solution. So it's almost like a, a, out, of the, out of the packet solution for some of these small businesses, which, which takes a lot of the risk and, and the, 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 the scariness um, out of it. That's an enormous help, isn't it? Because uh, business owners know how to run their business. They know how to develop their product or provide their service. But it's all of these extensions which they're completely out of their depth, particularly if it's in a different country, to have it all in one spot and and then that currency overlay and currency management just seamlessly feed into it is an enormous help. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you say from the outside, you know, starting from scratch, I think, you know, language, um, you know, can be a challenge. You know, what's the local supply chain? As you mentioned, the tax implications, yeah. um, the market knowledge. Who, yeah, I, I think who, who to, to trust? Who yeah, to who trust? trust? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the great things that we I think, and that's where it ties in with that, with that customer service piece. I think the fact that we've been going around for 15 or 16 years, the fact that our, our customers know that they can come to us um, and talk to us and, and, and trust us is really where we get um, a lot of our longevity and, and growth um, over the history. Most of our clients come through from referrals and um, and recommendations. And really, given the environment and the technology environment we're in at the moment, it has never been easier to develop an e-commerce strategy, has it? And, and that is absolutely critical for every business, particularly during the, these COVID times. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm probably biased. I would have said developing a, a, an e-commerce strategy has been critical for for a number of years, given some of those opportunities um, that, that, that there are. But yeah, you're. I think you know some of the things that we touched on before. Um, around you know, the, the, the dauntedness of going overseas is why people haven't. But you know, COVID is is without doubt proving that it's it's not a, a choice anymore. I think it's it's a necessity. Um, and what we've seen is this has been this huge shift, and, and I believe it's a permanent structural shift from offline um, to online. And if you really want to kind of be part of that um, and, and, and de-risk your business, I think having that that e-commerce strategy is absolutely critical. And those tools are there, as we've talked about, which makes it a lot easier. Um, for businesses to set that up if they want to. Yeah, what are the keys to success with an e-commerce strategy? I think, um, uh, you know, it, in many ways, it's it's no different to any uh, other business. And I know you're kind of um, in, in, the, in that same um, space yourself in terms of running businesses. But I think um, I think you need to be very clear about um, uh, your strategy. You know, what is it that you're trying to achieve as a business? 
um, being very focused, whether you're narrow and deep or, or, or broad and shallow. Um, you know, which markets do you want to be in? Um, but specifically around e-commerce, I think it's around the service level that you're going to provide. Um, what's your product range? Um, what's that? You know, which of those products um, are going to sit in, in in which markets? And ultimately, then how are you going to um, sell and service those those customers? So I think with e-commerce, the nervousness that people have is that there isn't that that face-to-face -face connectivity. So being really responsive um, to customers um, and being able there to provide support, I, I think, is critical in terms of, I guess, creating that e-commerce strategy. And and customers, because of what they've gone through in the last six months, doesn't matter whether it's in Australia, Hong Kong, the rest of Asia, um, has been given a boot camp of technology and buying and communicating online, haven't they? How, how many people uh, had uh, used Zoom um, uh, before going into COVID? I know my 85-year-old mother, hadn't even heard of it. Now, Zoom's her kids and grandkids around the world every single week. Uh, QR codes, getting into pubs and clubs. You know, everyone thought, what's the use of QR codes? <laughs> now, now we're expert at it. So, so customer expectations have changed dramatically, haven't they? I think they have. And as I said, I think it's a structural change now. I don't think there's any going back from, from this. And so this, this acceleration and this adoption of, of digitalization and e-commerce is, is only going to accelerate um, in, in my view, um, and the way to succeed, you know, is that customer experience about how do you make it really easy, simple, um, and streamlined for, for these customers, and how do you create a product um, that they want to use um, in their hand? I think, yeah, I think it's um, the way forward. And and customers are open to it like never before. Hey, when you, when you look back on World First success story, what are some of the lessons that every business can take away from it? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. I mean, I think. Um, I mean, every business is unique, and, and and so I think it's important that you look at it through through your own lens. But there's definitely some things that World First has done well, and some things that we've done less well that I think you know are valuable um, lessons. I think, you know, as as we've said, the, the DNA of our company is is really focused on the customer and making it easy to do business anywhere. So I genuinely believe that if you focus on solving a pain point of a customer, a real pain point to provide real value, then there's always an opportunity to create a, a great business. And if you've got that long-term view. I think that you know, that should see you through in a lot of cases. Um, I think being really clear about what your what your purpose is and and why do you exist. I don't think it's enough anymore to just have a plan and execute. I think you know you need people to be really engaged and, and passionate about what you do. So being very clear about you know what is your mission and vision as an organisation, I think is is really important. And last but not least, you know it's it's a cliche, but um, you know business is only as good as its team, and so. Um, I think you know, your number one focus should be should be building a great team. You know, the, the old saying of culture each strategy for breakfast, I, I, I think is very true. And if you hire the right people, um, they will solve your problems um, for you. And so building that environment. That's a, that's a really important comment because at, at this time when your teams so often are working remotely uh, and in your case around the world, how do you build and maintain a culture in this environment where where team members could be more disconnected than they usually are. It's difficult. It's it, it's not easy. I think it, you know. I think if there was a golden bullet, everyone would be doing it. I think um, you know we, we've tried to use all of the tools that you've mentioned. Um, you know, Zoom uh, and other other kind of, and we tried to create kind of social interaction with that. With you know whether it's online karaoke events or, or, or music or comedians, et cetera, online just to kind of build some 
um, some, some culture. Um, we've tried to give people flexibility um, so they can manage their kind of uh, work and personal life because increasingly that's kind of melding into, into one um, at the moment, which is, which is really um, challenging. But I think that the, the key for us has been really very much to recognize that um, everyone is an individual with their own unique circumstances. So um, we're trying to be as flexible as possible and as open and transparent as possible and, 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 and to really take everyone's, I guess, needs and considerations um, into play where we can because ultimately a job's a job. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not as important as, as other parts of, of people li people's lives. So it's really just trying to, to be there for people and to offer them that support. But um, it's challenging. And I think, you know, over time, you know, we're seeing in some markets which have been remote now for four or five months, it's getting harder and harder as, as that time goes by. I think it was quite novel and interesting and quite, you know, not exciting, but kind of a bit different to start off with. But that's definitely uh, definitely wearing a bit thinner now. So it's, it's becoming a more and more important part of, of our role. Um, and uh, yeah, it's difficult, but we're, we're trying our best. We've got to focus on it. Now, I can't let you go without, uh, without talking about currency markets, um, where the Aussie dollar is going and, and, and the US dollar at the moment. Um, does World First have a view on it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, um, there's no crystal, no crystal ball, but I think you know, the US on Aussie has been pretty uh, volatile um, over the last six months. And you know, obviously, that has a big impact on importers. I think it dropped to uh, 57 cents um, earlier in the year, and it's back up to, to 72. I think um, you know, our view is that probably that strengthening uh, will continue um, as, we head, um, as we head on, given all the, the, the uncertainty um, with the US at the moment. But um, I think the key to this around the currency markets, as you mentioned, is for any small businesses is looking at how do they they manage that risk because it's impossible to predict. And so obviously businesses like World First can help um, small businesses uh, to, to manage and, and hedge that risk um, through some of the, the, the tools um, and strategies that we, we have in place. So I'd encourage encourage anyone out there to, to speak to uh, uh, one of our uh, one of our dealers and and get some views as to how they can manage that risk for their business. And you know what, you are absolutely correct too. Don't stress about where currencies are going, but focus on how do you take the currency risk out of the equation altogether, so your your business and your and your sales stand on their own two feet. Yeah, you're right. I mean, ultimately, as you said, we we want to be able to provide small businesses with time to do what they do best, which is, which is run their business. And, and they don't want to be wasting their time worrying about the exchange piece. They want to be growing a successful business. And, and that's really what we're trying to do is to allow them to focus on, on what they do best. Jeff Parker, it's been great to catch up. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. And that's it for From Local to Global Small Business Success Stories. Thanks for listening. From Local to Global Small Business Success Stories is proudly supported by World First. World First, the smart way for businesses to collect, convert and make payments globally. Importers save on international payments with money transfers up to eight times cheaper than the banks. Exporters open local currency accounts around the world quickly and for free.